Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Whether you're tuning in online in the East Service or here in the West, welcome. My name is Mike, one of our pastors here. Great to be with you. Pretty honored to share God's word with us this morning. We are in the fourth and final week of our series, Teach Us to Pray, taken from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus himself instructs us, this is how you pray. Hope you're sensing two things so far in this series. The first is the permission of this series. The permission to say, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing in prayer. The permission to admit our wrongness, our shortcomings, our questions. It is good and right and actually very Christian of us. Say, maybe I don't really understand this. So if you're here and you're new to prayer, you have questions about prayer, maybe you've been praying for a while and you just feel something is stale in your prayer life, can I just say that is normal, that is okay, and I'm really glad you're here. This morning, this message, this passage is for you. For you know what? Jesus meets us. This is who he is. He meets us in our wrongness with his graciousness. He says, come, I will teach you. Come, learn from me. Come, let me show you. I will fix what is wrong and make it right. That is what I do best, the permission of this series. But also then the opportunity to actually learn how to pray. You know, hopefully it's been a a very good series for you so far, learning lots of things you've been taught. Uh, That prayer is not about what we say in terms of performing or having the right magical words, but prayer is trusting and believing that God is our Father who knows us, loves us, and loves to help us. And at the heart of prayer is that we would surrender. If you were here last week, what a powerful message from Pastor Zach. That at the heart of prayer, we're longing for regime change. Not just out there somewhere, not just out in Afghanistan, but here in our very lives, in this very church. And I can't help but wonder what would change if I actually learned how to pray rightly, if you learned to pray rightly, if we as a church did together. And starting tomorrow, you may have heard this, it might be new, we are starting a 97-day prayer journey. Takes us from tomorrow all the way through the fall into early December. We've created these uh, prayer journey guides for you. And this is what it is. 97 days through the Lord's Prayer. That's it. And we have sold over 900 of these. 900 of you are already in. And we have 400 more, because why not? So if you are here and you haven't bought one, uh, this is your last Sunday. Jump in. They're in the atrium after the service, and they cost $5. All right. Well, let's turn our attention to our text for this morning. We're in Matthew 6, verses 11 through 13. You can, if you have a Bible, turn to it or on your smartphone, navigate your way to it. Matthew 6, 11 through 13. Jesus is going to give us three things to pray for. He's going to give us three things that we are to ask God for. Three things to ask God for. And so we're simply going to walk through each of these three things. And we're going to say, hey, what are we praying for? Why does this make sense? And how does this change us? 
But a couple things before we get started. First, when we think about Jesus teaching us how to pray, we need to keep in mind something pretty important. The Bible says Jesus isn't just some ordinary man teaching us to pray. He didn't become famous somehow on YouTube and now has his own channel, but Jesus is fully God. He's the son of God in human flesh, which means that he knows God perfectly and he knows you perfectly. So whatever Jesus is going to teach us to ask God for, it comes from perfect knowledge of you and me and perfect knowledge of God. Three things he's going to teach us to pray for. There's going to be one actually unifying thread as we go through this morning, one main idea that I want us to see right off the bat is that the Lord's prayer is going to take us to the Lord's work. What I mean is the good teaching that Jesus has for us in the beginning of Matthew on prayer is going to lead us all the way to the end of Matthew and the good news about Jesus on the cross. Jesus says, teacher, moving us to Jesus as Savior. Let me put it to you this way. Two days ago, actually, my wife and I, Christina, sitting in the front, I'm sure she loved me shouting that out, we just celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. I know I look a lot older than I actually am, so, but I assure you, it's just 10 years. But thanks to a gift, actually, from a couple here, we went to California on the West Coast, seeing the Pacific Ocean, drove the famous Highway 1. If you've been there, it is beautiful, uh, and we loved it. It's on the edge of the cliff all the time. And you see cliffs and water and crashing waves, and it is very, very stunning until it gets dark. And then it gets a little bit not stunning and more scary. May or may not have caused a few marital conversations in our (laughs) car. But along the way, there's a lot of these like scenic turnout, vista points, they call them. You pull off the road, get out of your car, and you just take in one part of Highway 1, and it was beautiful. That's what the Lord's Prayer is going to do going to take us on this journey to different vista points, three vista points, three scenic turnouts where we get to see and behold and get out of our cars to see the wonder, the beauty, and the power, and the truth of the good news of Jesus. So let's get started. Our very first stop, our very first request, our very first verse. Matthew 6, verse 11, this is the first thing Jesus teaches us to pray for. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I'll be honest, I have breezed past this line hundreds of times in my life. Maybe you have too. But I'm convinced if we slow down, and we're going to this morning, we will see something beautiful about God. So first question, what are we praying for? When we say, give us our daily bread, what are we praying for? Let's start with bread. Jesus doesn't just mean bread here. Bread is representative of everything that you and I need physically to live. So it includes bread, other food, shelter, clothes, oxygen, all these things. The essentials in life that we need, our need, not our greed, as one person put it. And the word daily is interesting because it's the only time It's the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. So Jesus has chosen this word uniquely and specifically for this prayer. And it simply means for the coming day. For the coming day. So when we pray for our daily bread, Jesus is narrowing our focus to just the next day, 
to just the next 24 hours of our lives. We're saying, Father, take care of us for the coming day. Give us what we need physically for the next 24 hours of my life. The question is, why does this make sense? I have a hundred other things that I want besides bread. And I have lots of things beyond just 24 hours. Next week, next month, next year, I'm sure you do too. Why does this make sense? Two things we're going to see. One, the way Jesus sees us and something about God. First, the way Jesus sees us, what he knows about you and me. See, we look at ourselves, right? Look at ourselves today and we could probably say, hey, there is some part of me that needs help. Right? I'm having some work done at my house right now in our kitchen and I am very well aware, my wife can attest, I am very well aware of my need for help around anything uh, around the house. For you, it might be something different. It could be your dating life, your golf game, the classroom, and your marriage, and your finance. But you say, hey, I could use a little bit of help in this area. But our daily bread, I'm pretty sure Acme is pretty close, right? You just go down three or three. And I'm pretty sure you could do right now. Don't do it. You could. You could pull out your phone, hit a few buttons, and you could have a full order of groceries on your doorstep when you get home from church. Maybe one of the silver linings of COVID is now grocery delivery. You don't have to go anywhere. And yet, and yet, Jesus sees something different. We see our need for some things or a couple things, but Jesus sees our need for all things. He sees that every day of our lives, every day of your life and my life is in the hands of God. Every breath that we take, every meal that we eat, Every single moment is in the hands of God. If God was claiming dependence on his taxes, he could claim every single one of us. The breath you, took, the breath you just took, the beat of your heart that just happened, those are in the very hands of God. So the reality is we think we might be self-sufficient, but that is simply an illusion. The reality is that we are dependent upon God every day. We would not make it, we could not make it 24 hours without him, which is a little bit unnerving to be that dependent, especially upon God. And yet this brings us to our second reason why this line makes sense. And I think why this line can shape us so profoundly, because this request only makes sense. It only makes sense to ask for our daily bread with a certain view of God. You know, I think when we tend to think about God's involvement in our life, we tend to think about God's love and care for our life, we kind of fall in two different categories, two different ways we see his presence, his love, his care in our lives. First is the one of history. We think about God's love as something in the past. He did love, he has loved, but it's been a very long time. When you look at your life now, you haven't got a whiff of God's love when it seems like years. It's a thing of history or it's a thing of holidays. God's love is around some of the time. He's there in big moments, big days, big opportunities in your life, but most days, not so much. The thing of holidays. And yet neither of those views makes sense if we're asking for our daily bread. And so Jesus is bringing us somewhere different. And we're beginning to get closer to our first turnoff, our first scenic lookout, our vista point to see the wonder and the truth of God's love and care. And he's trying to help us to see that it's not just something of the past, but it's something in the present. It's not just some of the time, but it is all the time. 
You know when you're looking for a flight sometimes and you try to go too far ahead and the flights say unavailable. God's love is never like that. There will never be a day in your life where the loving care of God is unavailable. And Jesus is bringing us to this point saying, get out of your cars and see for yourself that you have a God who is your father who knows you and sees you and loves you every single day of your life. There will never be one day, there will never be one day where you are separated from the love of God. And the question is, how is Jesus so sure? How can he be so confident to tell us to pray for our daily bread? Well, he knows that he is the one who's taken that separation for us. He has ended that separation for us. See, this is true. On the cross, Jesus was not given his daily bread. Instead, he endured the deadly wrath of God instead. And because he ended the separation between us and God, we can have full confidence, you can have full confidence that every single day of your life is in the loving hands, the caring hands of God, your Father. The question is, how does that change us? How does it change us? How do you think it's going to change you to be fully convinced of the love and care of God in your life every single day? Now, I do say change us intentionally. When you go through the Lord's Prayer, you'll never see uh, I or my. You are always going to see we or us. It's our Father. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us. Deliver us. So when we talk about prayer changing. It's always a we thing. It's never in I thing. But I think as we pray for this day after day after day, and we see God come through day after day after day in our life, in our family's life, in our circle's life, we're going to become more convinced and more trusting of God today and less worried about tomorrow. It's kind of like, a, uh, kind of like an old mall escalator, right? They kind of go, one goes up, one goes down. When you're convinced of the love of God on a daily basis in your life, your trust in today will go up and your worry will go down. Look, I'm just like you. We all have plenty of things financially and physically, medically, bodily that we want answers for. And it could be retirement, it could be college tuition, it could be our mortgage payment, it could be a house project, it could be any number of things. And listen, I can't promise you that God's going to give you what you want. I can't promise you that's going to turn out well. But I can tell you for certain, because of Jesus, that the love of God isn't going anywhere. And every single day that we as a church ask for our daily bread, we will be met with the daily love of God. That is the first stop. The second stop, Matthew 6, verse 12, the next verse, he says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What are we praying for? We're praying for forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, we use that word a lot. Let me just uh, break it down a little bit so we know and we're on the same page. But this word here for forgiveness that's used here is the most common word used for forgiveness in the entire New Testament. And it literally means to send away. It literally means to dismiss from your presence. It's interesting there's two other places I'm going to show you out of many where the same word is used. Let me show you what I mean. In Matthew 4, verse 20, it says this, 
Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. The word left there is the same word in our passage for forgive. Let me do it one more time. Matthew 8, 15 says, Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her. Same word. In this word, something that was with you is no longer with you. Something that used to be with you is now gone. It's been sent away. It's been dismissed. So when we're praying, God, would you forgive us? We're saying, God, would you send my sins away? As far as the east is from the west, would you cast my sins away from me? That's what we're praying for. And the question is, why does this make sense? Why does it make sense that Jesus would teach us to pray for forgiveness? Two things we're going to see. Something about us, something about God. It only makes sense that we would pray for forgiveness if we need forgiveness on a regular basis. Otherwise, why would Jesus put it in here? It only makes sense if you and I actually need forgiveness on a regular basis. You see, this is true. When Jesus looks at you, as he looked at the disciples, and when he looks at me, he sees plenty of reasons for forgiveness. Plenty of reasons of why we need forgiveness. He knows everything. So the question is, when he sees you, and when he sees me, why do you need forgiveness? What is the first thing that Jesus sees about you that you need forgiveness? What is the worst thing? Maybe what is the hidden thing? You see, we're in this age where we can kind of control our image, right? Through social media and other things. We can filter out how people know us and see us and interact with us, right? And yet, that's not true with Jesus. Jesus knows absolutely everything about you. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're hoping for later in this day. He knows your social media activity. He knows your financial activity. He knows everything about you. And this is his conclusion about you and about me. Knowing everything that he does, he says, more than daily bread, we need daily forgiveness. And I think most of us probably actually know that. We know that we are only human and we know that we aren't perfect. And so, yeah, I, I get, I, I probably do need forgiveness. But this only makes sense. This only makes sense if God is actually a forgiving God. This line doesn't make sense if we just know we need forgiveness. It only makes sense if God is actually a forgiving God. And I think, I think that is actually the question. Is God a forgiving God? Or maybe I can put it this way. Is God a forgiving God of you. I've noticed the troubling pattern in my life lately. The things that I borrow are the things that I break. <laughs> I borrowed my friend's pickup truck. Sure enough, moving something, 85-year-old woman sideswiped me going seven miles per hour <laughs> near the Stowe Library. No idea. Borrowed my friend's tree saw. That's what I like to call it. I was cutting down branches on my trees, and so he gave me a saw, so it must be a tree saw. Sure enough, blade fell off. So let me just give you a few pieces of advice. Actually, one. If I ever ask you, if I ever ask you to borrow something, look him in the eye and say no. All right? It'll be better for us all. I remember being so anxious having to tell my friends that I wrecked 
their truck, and their saw. I was so anxious and I was pretty uncertain. How would they actually respond? And I just can't help but wonder how much that is like us when we approach God. How anxious can we be? How uncertain can we be that God is actually going to forgive you and me? You know, perhaps if you are a Christian here this morning, that is the question. Deep down, you know, that is the question. You know what you have done. And actually, you're just a little bit uncomfortable being here right now. You think if you would ask God for forgiveness, at best, he would laugh at you. And at worst, he would utterly reject you. And yet, here we have Jesus confidently teaching us to ask for forgiveness. What does he know? Well, Jesus knows that there's a day coming later on in Matthew where he would lay down his life and fully pay for our debts. You see, the reason that God can forgive you and me, the reason he can send our sins away, is because they land on somebody else. They don't just evaporate, they don't just float away like a balloon. But when God forgives us, the sins are sent away and they're put on Jesus. And on the cross, he made full, sufficient, and complete payment for your sins with his very blood. And so I assure you this morning, whoever you are and whatever you've done, when you get out of your car and you come and see the beauty and the power and the truth of the forgiveness of God, you can be forgiven because Jesus has fully paid for it all. The question is, how does this change us? How does this sense of grace actually change us? The verse continues in Matthew 6, the end of it, verse 12, and says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And notice the switch here. In the first part, we were asking for forgiveness. And now here, what do you see? In the second part, we are extending forgiveness to others. And this verse connects something important. To know forgiveness is to give forgiveness. To give forgiveness is to know forgiveness. They are linked together. You know, both of my friends were very gracious with me. I haven't asked again for something, but they have been very gracious with me. They forgave me. Whatever the cost was, I didn't have to pay it. Now, what do you think would happen? Let's say we're out to dinner. Let's say we happen to be at Chipotle, and he's carrying my burrito bowl to my seat, and something happens. He stumbles. Somebody hits him, right? And my burrito falls. I know this is going to really be shocking, but Chipotle burrito bowl falls, hits the ground, and it's wasted. What's going to be my, my response? They've just forgiven over $700 probably in truck damage. I can probably forgive a $7 Chipotle burrito. To know grace is to give grace, and to give grace is to know grace. And I'm convinced when we pray this prayer, and we're aware of the debts upon debts upon debts, and the $700 saw changes and truck wrecks that we have done, that God has forgiven all of those. When other people occasionally have a $7 debt for you, we can forgive them. We can extend grace. To know grace is to give grace. And what a way that would be to be a part of that kind of church. And we're in kind of a weird culture right now where if you mess up right now, or if something happens that's been brought up from previous in your life, you get canceled. 
right? Your sins and who you are get tossed aside. But Jesus says there's a much different way. To be a culture of grace and not cancel means that, you know what? You can stay and your sins are going to be gone. You can stay and your sins are going to be sent away. And I don't know about you, but I need that kind of community. I long for that kind of community. I think because of Jesus, we can be that kind of community. It's our second stop. Our last and final stop in Matthew 6, verse 13. Third request, third stop, third thing that we are to pray for. Matthew 6, verse 13. says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What are we praying for? Very simply, we're praying for help. We're praying that God would help us say no to the things that are not of him. You recognize the word temptation there, and you recognize at the end the presence of evil. And evil isn't just some general idea. Evil is a person. It's the evil one. There's temptation, and then there's the tempter. And this is just a very candid request that Jesus is teaching us to pray. He's saying, you have temptation all over your life. And you have a tempter in your life that is all over you, who wants nothing else than to wreck, destroy, and ruin your life. So he's teaching us to pray, ask for help, to be led in a different way, essentially saying, Father, help us to say no to the things that are not of you, not of your kingdom, and not of your will. And the question is, why does Jesus teach us to pray for this? And we see the similar two things, something about us and something about God. This makes sense that we would ask help to say no because Jesus knows that we are all too good at saying yes. Pick your temptation. It could be greed or gossip, anger or alcohol, pride or porn, whatever it might be. The temptations that we face, Jesus knows. He's saying you should pray for help to say no because I know your track record. I know what it's like when you're on your own. I know what it's like. I know what you do when it's just you. Ask for help. You know, this is true. Jesus thinks very highly of you and very poorly of you at the same time. He thinks very highly of you. This is why he came and he died and he gave his life for you on the cross. You can't get any higher than that. And yet Jesus also thinks very poorly of you. You know, this language of at risk has become common these days around COVID. And I think it fits here for us. It fits this request. That when Jesus looks at us, he knows just how at risk we are for almost anything and everything at any time. He knows just how weak we are. He knows just how vulnerable we are. And he knows how badly we need his help. Jesus thinks very highly of you and very poorly of you. And if he teaches us to ask for help because of his poor view, then it is his high view of you that then leads you and them to help you. And so the second reason why this makes sense is that Jesus can actually help. Jesus can actually help with temptation. Jesus can actually help with the tempter. And we're getting closer to kind of our third and final turnout, our third and final 
Vista Point. This is a view where we get to behold the victory and the power of Jesus. That's for us. You see, Jesus came and he lived a life where he was absolutely perfect. He lived a life where he was tempted like we were, but yet without sin. Every single time when Satan would come, Jesus would say, no. Jesus resisted temptation perfectly and he overcame the tempter on the cross. One of the central narratives, one of the central uh, themes of the cross is the victory of Jesus. Is that when he rose from the dead on the third day, he established himself as king. He established himself as victor. And this is true. Satan lost and Jesus won. And the beauty of this view is to know this. Is that it's not just Jesus' victory. It's not just Jesus' power. To be a Christian is to have the spirit of Christ within us. And Jesus says, I'm going to give to you, I'm going to share with you my temptation-resisting, Satan-defeating, evil-conquering power. You have access now. The help that you have is the help that I won on the cross in victory. And how does that not change us? This is what I'm convinced about. I don't know everyone's story in here. I don't know everyone's struggle in this room. And yet I do know there's a lot of temptation that we've been saying yes to for a long time that we want to say no to. There's a lot of things for a long time. I don't know what it is, but in Jesus that can be. And what a cool, what an amazing, what a powerful church that would be if there were a lot more no's to our tempter and a lot more yeses to our Savior. This is the hope and the power of Jesus. The Lord's Prayer is pretty aptly named, not only because it comes from Jesus, but because it points us to Jesus. The good teaching actually points us to the good news. Jesus as teacher leads us to the riches of Jesus as Savior. I hope you are seeing that. Our daily bread takes us to his daily love. There is never a day in your life where you'll be separated from the loving care of God. There's not a sin in your life that cannot be forgiven by God. And finally, there's not a temptation in life that cannot be overcome by the power of God. And this is what I hope happens in the next 97 days. As we pray for these things together, we pray through these things together, that we would stop, get out of our car, we would see, behold, and be changed by the beauty and the power and the truth of God's love and his grace and his power that's found and available to us in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.